What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined, as always, by David Lake. David, last podcast, I said maybe we'll podcast again if Miami gets another commitment, um, and that's happened. We've seen two more uh, 2021 recruits jump into the boat over the past I guess four days. So that gives Miami three commits in six days. We're going to get into that this episode. We're also going to talk a little NFL draft um, since that was like the biggest sporting thing that's happened in really two months. Before we get into that, David, how you doing? Doing well. Yeah, it was, it was nice to get that sporty, sports fix for three days with the NFL draft. I think I pretty much watched every single minute of the coverage, <laughs> and, but it was, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, we'll get into the Miami guys here in this podcast, but happy for the guys that got picked. And I think some of the, um, the, un- the undrafted free agents landed in some interesting spots, which we can dive into too later on, but yeah, they got some momentum on the recruiting trail as well. And, and let's, let's go into that right now. Yeah, so two commitments. Um, the most recent one, offensive lineman Ryan Rodriguez out of Miami Columbus. If you guys listen to this podcast, if you guys have read the site, you know he's a kid who has been trending in the right direction for Miami. I mean, he's a guy who uh, new offensive line coach Garen Justice offered really his like first week on the job. He announced Monday night that um, he's not going to take any visits anywhere else. He, he's shutting it down. Uh, and he's going to commit to Miami. David, I know you think this is a monster addition, uh, yeah. and I think that, that that's because he has the uh, he's ranked as the number five center by 24-7 sports in the country right now. Um, so he's a top five kid at his position. Yeah, I mean, you know, just the nature of ranking centers, right? The majority of them are going to be three stars because I think when the fans go to his recruiting profile on 24-7 sports, they're going to see that he's a three-star and wonder, you know, why, are, why is Andrew and why is David showing him so much love? Well, just in general, centers don't necessarily get ranked super high, but look at where he ranks by the position in the country. He's number five. I think, you know, we're going to touch on this theme a lot, I feel like, this offseason, but this is an example of this COVID weird situation with recruiting for Miami kind of working out in Miami's favor because pretty much starting right now uh, this week is when SEC coaches, Big Ten coaches would be flooding South Florida during the recruiting evaluation period. And Ryan Rodriguez would be getting a ton of offers over the next six weeks if that was happening. You know, those visits, coaches aren't allowed to get out on the road right now. So that's not happening. And so Miami's able, I mean, I think in the end, he would have picked Miami anyways, but you never know when, you know, who knows what happens if Alabama comes down here and says, you know, we like him as a center too, and we're going to make a move on him too. Um, And I think he's that good. Like he is elite program level good to get recruited at that level. And in the end, he picks Miami. And so, yeah. I think it's a big deal. A few things to break down here. Um, Ryan, he's, he's 6'3", 280 pounds, uh, played this past season 
at left tackle for Miami Columbus squad that, that won an 8A state title. So that is Miami or the state of Florida's highest classification. Um, I talked to his coach early Monday morning and he's like, look, he's our most athletic guy. Um, he's 6'3", so he can't be a tackle uh, at the next level, but that doesn't mean he's not athletic enough to get it done there. And I think Clemson, they had a starting tackle uh, this past season that was like 6'1". Um, yeah. So who knows where he's going to end up. I think he'll probably get it done at center. But when you put on the tape, the things I like about him, uh, he doesn't fall over a lot. He's very athletic. Um, reminds me in some ways of Corey Gaynor in terms of how he finishes plays, how he plays the the whistle. I mean, he's got a mean streak to him. And I honestly think he's like more polished and, and technically way more sound and athletic than Corey Gaynor at, at this stage. And I'm not saying Corey Gaynor is um, – some, some great offensive linemen for the Hurricanes. I mean, we know how much they've struggled in recent seasons, but Corey Gaynor was like a three-star recruit, and he's uh, Miami's starting center. And he's been, honestly, one of the most solid pieces of that line. So I think if, if Ryan's anywhere close to that, uh, that's a good sign. You mentioned um, all those other offers that, that really didn't come in, and it, it, it's – it's funny because I was going to bring that up on my own. Like we haven't even talked about that. And I do, I do agree. I mean, uh, Ryan also held offers from Louisville, Ole Miss, Wake Forest, West Virginia, Syracuse, and Indiana. So that's not really um, a huge group of schools, uh, but it's still a bunch of fa- uh, power five programs. Um, and I think he would have got a bunch more offers if that spring evaluation period had happened. I think um, some schools wanted to just get some eyes on him this spring and that's not going to happen. And uh, let's also not forget, Ryan was planning to visit Wake Forest and Louisville, uh, I think, like, right around this time. And, and then um, things had to get shut down because of the coronavirus. So uh, another unique situation for Miami. I mean, they got him on campus twice. He was one of the only kids that visited in March. And I honestly really like this take. Like, if, you, if you're going to turn around this offensive line, it's going to have to start with getting guys like Ryan Rodriguez. Yeah, so remind us, you, you touched on it a little bit, um, but remind us exactly what happened with Garen Justice offering him. It was like, was it his first day going out on the road recruiting for Miami in January and he yes. offered Rodriguez that day? Yeah, well, it's honestly the last time coaches could be out on the road. So if you remember back in January, uh, Miami had a bulk of its 2020 class in place. They're only chasing after a few guys. So most schools, um, what they do is they start shifting the focus to the next cycle. And uh, I think the first day Garen Justice was out on the road, he went and he watched Ryan Rodriguez and the rest of Miami Columbus go through a 6 a.m. lift. And after that lift, he offered uh, Ryan a scholarship and Miami got him on campus for a junior day, uh, got him on campus again for a spring practice. And um, I I do agree. He was probably always coming to Miami unless like uh, LSU or Alabama offered or even uh, Mario Cristobal in in, in Oregon. Like I think that I think he would have got a hard look from those guys and he still might at some point down the line that we know how much Mario likes uh, Columbus, but um, comes from a, a, a household of Hurricanes fans. And I think the other thing that this shows is, you know, I, I he could be a vocal type leader for Miami on the recruiting trail. And that's kind of what the coaches are looking for. I had one staffer tell me last week, like, yeah, we got Khalil Brantley, who's very public about uh, getting guys to play with him in Coral Gables. And that's the three-star tight end out of Miami Northwestern. But there really hasn't been – 
uh, a bunch of other guys. And I think Ryan has a chance to kind of become an ambassador of sorts for uh, the Hurricanes. So I wasn't at the camp. I didn't see him, but I saw the clips of Ryan Rodriguez at the uh, South Florida Under Armour camp this offseason. And just from those clips, my main takeaways was, you know, he's a guy who's just very in control when he's in his, when he's pass blocking. Like that's basically what you want to see during those one-on-ones is guys who aren't reaching guys who can play with that balance and redirect their momentum and, and handle defensive linemen during those one-on-one situations. What do you remember from Rodriguez, his reps during that camp? Well, he went like 14 and one. <laughs> uh, I mean, he, he didn't lose many reps and there's going to be a ton of people listening to this podcast and, and on the message boards and on Twitter saying that uh, it's just uh, shorts and a, a, a t-shirt. What does that really mean? And I like those one-on-ones because you can see kind of kids footwork, uh, how they handle um, a, a bull rush. Cause a lot of guys will bull rush in that situation, which they tell everyone absolutely don't do. And, I just think that Ryan plays with good leverage. I mentioned earlier, he's not sloppy. I mean, if you put on the tape, like he's not falling over. Um, right. Good good, good balance and stuff like that. And yeah, he might be a little undersized at, at 6'3", 280, but let's not forget Miami's going to a spread offense. You want faster, uh, smaller, quicker linemen that can run that no huddle. And I think uh, he fits right into it. Like this is a guy um, that Miami needed to get. And yeah, he's not four stars, but... Um, there was a ton of three stars taken in the, in this past NFL draft. Do you remember? So I remember seeing a clip where he handled four-star defensive lineman Tyreek Sapp in that camp. Do you remember any of the other impressive guys he went up against and handled just for reference? <sighs> I mean, it was a pretty loaded defensive line group. I mean, probably one of the better ones I've seen over the past couple of years. I, I can't specifically. I think Alan Hay was there, correct? The guy who just yeah, admitted it, it, to my Yeah, him and Alan Hay did go head to head and Ryan got, I think he handled, I mean, yeah, he won four reps in a row um, against Allen. So it it, it was good. Last thing I want to ask you about this is just where, where does it fit now with Miami's offensive line recruiting for this 2021 class? It's simple. I mean, Miami now has three guys in the boat um, and they haven't been in this position in terms of offensive line recruiting in a very long time. Uh, so they got Ryan, who's an interior guy. They got Michael McLaughlin, who's a, a bit of a, um, a, a project at, at tackle. I mean, I think it's fair to say that he's going to be a guy who's going to need some time. And then they got Lawrence Seymour, who's also more of an interior guy. I think Miami's going to have to fight to keep uh, Lawrence committed. Um, but that doesn't mean uh, we, we – we shouldn't include him on the commit list. Now I, I think if Miami wins games, Lawrence Seymour is going to come, but he's the one to watch. So now they got, they got the three in the boat. This allows Garen justice to kind of look to bring a big fish in, go, go see what you can get. I mean, they're, they're in contact with five-star offensive tackle, Tristan Leah. Uh, there's a kid named Terry Wells out of Arkansas that they, they, they are also looking to bring in for an official visit. So I think now that you got these three, I mean, you do what you can to keep them committed, but now it allows you for whenever you can get back out on the road um, 
to go see maybe some of these more high, high profile targets, uh, in other parts of the country. And you always keep your eyes open for, for late bloomers and and developers. There's a kid I like at Fort Lauderdale, Stranahan, Kareem Harden. Um, he's got some, some group of fives, low level power five offers. I think he's a guy who Miami was going to really get some eyes on, um, this spring. Maybe now that happens during a summer camp, but, uh, I think this just allows Miami to, um, breathe not panic and, and see what else they can go out there and get. I think too, I mean, this might be a little bit of a reach for a take, but I think too, the more offensive linemen you can have in your class that are good, that are respected. And if you're still searching for that quarterback to join your class, that doesn't hurt your case is what I'm saying. So Miami's in a position where they're still trying to find that high school quarterback to add to the class, whoever that's going to be. And quarterbacks do look at that. They look at the receivers that is in the class that they're going to be in. And they also look at the offensive line. And I think if I was a quarterback recruit, I would feel fairly good about where things are with Miami's offensive line recruiting right now. It's a good point, especially when you have Jalen Rivers um, yeah. from last cycle as well. So should we talk about the other commit Miami landed? Yeah, let's talk about on uh... – Talk about number number two in the group, Malik Curtis, a three-star athlete out of Fort Myers, Bishop Verrett. Is that how you say it? Bishop Verreau. Verreau. Yes. It's um, a Catholic school, and it's I would assume that's French, but yeah, Bishop Verreau. Okay. Now I know. Uh, <laughs> this one kind of came out of not really nowhere uh, on, on Saturday during really in the middle of, of the NFL draft. Um, he's a guy who I think we, uh, as a site had written about back in the spring, um, Miami or back in the winter, I should say Miami offered him in January. Um, they were trying to get him on campus for the junior day. That didn't happen. There was talks of him coming to a spring practice that didn't happen. Um, but the staff decided to take his commitment after talking on the phone with him and his parents, um, I think the easiest way to describe Malik is as a dangerous return man. Yeah. Uh, returned four punts and a touch in uh, a kickoff for a touchdown as a junior. That's after uh, scoring three times in the return game as a sophomore. Um, this guy's electric and dynamic with the ball in his hands. He claims a, a four four eight in the forty yard dash on, on the lasers. I'm still trying to verify that time, but he is a eleven one kid in the hundred meter dash. Um, so he can make plays, and, and Miami thinks that he could be a, uh, a cornerback for them, which I think is – I mean, David, me and you saw Malik uh, at a seven-on-seven tournament in, in February before everything got shut down. I mean, it's going to be some time before he can be a yeah. defensive back at, at the Power 5 level. So I think – right, I think you nailed it in terms of the way he should be viewed. I think as, as a four-year returner which if he pans out that way and is a productive guy simply as a returner for four years, then you've gotten your value in that scholarship in my mind. We've seen, you know, with KJ Osborne last season, averaging what, 16 yards per punt return. I mean, every college coach in the country would take that field position flip on special teams, 16 yards, a pop. I'm not saying Malik Curtis is going to do that, but, you know, those guys are more valuable than fans realize. And 
you know, I, I think in terms of what to expect defensively, it's similar to like a, a Marcus Clarkish type take from the class of 2020. I think Clark's probably even more further along than Curtis. And I think in our mind, Clark is also a uh, project as well at corner. I just think Curtis is probably going to take even longer. And look, that's, a, that's fine. If you still take guys who, whose timeline to play at the college level is sooner than Curtis, then it's going to be okay. If you're not banking on Curtis playing right away on defense, it's really not that big of a deal. And, and you get three or four years to develop them, and, and we'll see what it looks like on defense in that sense in three or four years. But simply as a returner, I do think he, he's worth a scholarship and worth a take. I, I, I'm okay with it in that sense. I think he's got some like Sonoris, uh, or I'm sorry, Travis Benjamin too. Well, he kind of looks like Travis Benjamin in terms of body, but similar return skills. And, um, you know, yeah. when Miami was winning games, they, they had dynamic guys back there on uh, special teams. So I, I get it. Um, one other thing I wanted to point out with Malik Curtis, and I kind of heard this, a few months ago in, in regards to another prospect, but the, the the people inside the football offices at Miami, I don't think are as concerned as they once were in the past about how a kid looks right now. I mean, obviously they don't want like some fat sloppy kid, um, but they've seen what David Feely has been able to do in such a short amount of time with uh, the 2019 signing class. And, and some of the guys that were already on campus, like Jalen Phillips, who he put on 25 pounds, um, in that developmental lifting group that I think they believe David Feely can get a guy and transform the body into what they need him to be. So while maybe me and you are sitting here thinking, Hey, Malik Curtis is probably going to need two years on campus before he's, he's big enough to play. Maybe they think that David Feely can get him right in one year. So I think that that kind of went into the decision as well. And look, Jonathan Patkey was the primary recruiter um, on this. He recruits the, the 239, your, your backyard over there for the Hurricanes. And I, I think the fact that we're kind of labeling Malik a, a returner and, and, and Jonathan Patkey being the special teams coordinator kind of ties in together. Yeah, it, it makes sense. And and you've you've hit the nail on the head here. Miami has to balance that line of being able to land elite dudes. They still have to land some elite dudes, but then they also need to land these guys that need to be developed over two or three years and see what they look like two or three years down the road. I think Malik Curtis is in that development category and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, But on, on top of that, Miami needs to land elite dudes still at the position and we'll see if they can get it done. If they can, then yeah, taking a guy like Malik Curtis is going to make even more sense. Um, so I'm, I'm not down on the take at all. I like it. I think Manny Diaz wants to have a developmental type program at Miami and he understands you still got to win big time recruiting battles. Um, but this in my mind is definitely more on the developmental side of, of prospect. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, on the other side, we're going to talk about the NFL draft, and I'm also going to talk about kind of maybe why I like the Malik Curtis take even more. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. 
the winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. All right, guys, we are back. Um, David, NFL Draft was basically the entire weekend. I'm like you. I watched a ton of it. My girlfriend was shocked that it went till midnight on, on Friday night. She was not happy. Um, Same. But, uh, I mentioned why I kind of came around on, on the Malik Curtis take, and uh, the folks at 247 Sports had me write a uh, kind of – look at the data for the sunshine state and it was a down year for the state in general uh the past five years the the state of florida has produced roughly 34 draft picks i think uh, off the top of my head at 34 a year this year they had 22 um you toss out a couple img kids who started their careers elsewhere and that and that number is really 18 and i'm sure we'll talk about that in a few minutes but in in the later rounds there were three defensive backs that were drafted. All three of them were two-star recruits. All three of them went to a group of five schools. Um, and, and the things that they had in common was all three of them played a ton of offense. All three of them were close to being sub-11 guys in, in the 100-meter dash. Um, and, like, I, I, it, it, that just kind of – Yeah, and skinny. And, and to me, they kinda, that, that's kind of, in a way, what Malik Curtis is, you know? Uh, right. I'm, I'm not saying he's developing into this late round draft pick, but uh, when you project, it seems like these are the guys. Um, uh, the third thing was they had all spent four years at, at a college. So uh, I think that is what the end game is when you, when you think Malik Curtis. It's not play right away. It's play down the line. And this is like super nerdy type recruiting stuff, but um, you mentioned Malik Curtis had – an 11 100 meter time right do you know when he ran like was that this season before things were shut down or was that as a sophomore no uh, that's it was this season as things before things got shut down so most people write and track you know you kind of open up your season and then your time start dropping right so theoretically optimistically he would have dropped below an 11 second 100 meter that that is interesting and and remind this remind us too you touched on this on uh, InsideTheU.com today in your VIP story, but Blake Baker showed that he can also evaluate some DBs from his Louisiana Tech days. Right, right, right. I mean, you wrote about it on the site. Uh, I think every Miami fan knows this. Rob Likens, Miami's receivers coach, has now had um, wide receivers taken in the first round of the NFL draft and back-to-back drafts. Last year, it was Nikhil Henry, who went to – the New England Patriots. Then it was Brandon Ayuk. Is that how you said? Ayuk. 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 Who was uh, went to the Niners. Denver Bron- uh, 49ers. I'm, I'm all over the place. Uh, and then everyone knows that James Prochise or Proche. Sorry. Wow. I'm. Oof. It's a lot of names. I I mean I don't blame you. 
I yeah, he 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 was the guy who caught all the passes at at SMU. Well, Blake Baker also had two of his guys drafted um, on Saturday. It was a pair of defensive backs out of Louisiana Tech, uh, Amika Robertson, and then Ladarius Sneed. I think I don't yep. Sneed. Yeah, um, and those were two low-level three-star recruits who um, both were extremely fast. I mean, one was a 10-8-4 kid in the 100-meter dash, and I think another was a 4-5-4 on the lasers at a Nike combine. So um, I, I just thought it was interesting that, that Blake Baker had played a role in, in, in development in those guys, and uh, I think he might have a, a better eye for talent than some have given him credit for in the past. Right, and they're fitting this mold you're talking about with the Sunshine State, guys who are you know, on the smaller side – of their development when they're juniors and seniors in high school, but they're still growing into becoming grown men at the college level, but they still have that speed. Um, yeah. And so it seems like that's kind of what Miami's going to try and balance moving forward. The elite guys with these guys, they feel like still have upside and growth potential in college. Yeah. I mean, they're going to still keep trying to take your, your Isaiah Dunson's, um, your bigger corners, but at the same time, I think they want maybe two or three of these quick, small guys that they're going to develop. And look, uh, football is changing. <laughs> I mean, you don't need these big corners as much as you used to. It's a lot more you're asking your guys to cover people in the slot and, and run with them. So um, I, I don't think weight and, and arm length are going to be at, as, at much of a premium at, at, in some situations. Do you, you mentioned the draft picks from the state of Florida were down this year compared to recent previous years. Do you have a theory why that is? Did guys leave early in last year's class that made it, you know, would have been seniors this year and that would have pumped up the numbers a little bit or. Well, it was definitely some of that. I mean, um, I don't have it off the top of my head, but like Bosa, Brian Burns, uh, Travell Mullen, um, Chauncey Gardner Jones, like those are all guys who, who, who left early last year and, and were picked, um, in the first round and, and day two, uh, in, in Chauncey Gardner's situation. Uh, so I think that played a little bit and I just think it was a down cycle when we look back at, at the class of 2016 for the state of Florida. And, you know, I, I know these numbers and what I thought was, kind of amusing at some point on Saturday is everyone in the, in the media and really the local Miami media, I mean, is hounding uh, Miami for not having any players selected. And it's like, well, guys, you know, the state really just didn't churn out as many dudes as they normally do. So if Miami's bread and butter is recruiting the state of Florida and they did that and look, you know, these guys didn't turn into picks, then, you know, are they really, at fault. I mean, I, I guess there is some of that, like Damon Arnett was uh, the, the corner out of Ohio state. You know, he went in the first round, Miami never offered him, but the other two first round picks, Jerry Judy, CJ Henderson. I mean, Miami got both right. those kids on campus for official visits. So I just, I thought that was funny, but to answer your question, I think uh, it was just a, just a down year, man. It was just, I don't know, but they should bounce back in 2021. The state should as a whole. I think too, a big part of it probably, and this probably goes to your point with be, it being a down year, you know, Florida State didn't really pull their weight in terms of getting guys drafted. They had, what, one guy picked? Yeah, one guy picked. And 
I think the previous decade they averaged what five or six guys a year. Yeah. So, and you know, they mainly recruit the state of Florida as well. So they didn't carry their weight um, in this draft. And so that brings the numbers from the state of Florida down some too. Uh, I guess let's, let's shift it towards the team side. What was your, what was the most surprising thing for you about this draft when it came to Miami? Well, <laughs> the first guy, be like, oh, it's, the, it's not like the, the U of 2000 when everyone was getting drafted. <laughs> I've been doing this too long to have that take still. Um, but yeah, honestly, I was surprised by the first hurricane that was taken off the board being uh, Shaq Quarterman. I mean, look, we, said, we made it clear in the last podcast that we personally would not take him. We still felt like he was going to get picked. And look, we hope the best for Shaq. We are cheering for him. Like, we don't want to see him fail at all. We just wonder how he's going to fit at the NFL level. And honestly, like, it is really cool that he's going to Jacksonville. Like, that's just awesome. That's going to be the best-case scenario for him, probably, in terms of sticking as long as possible. Um, And then on the flip side, you know, I expected it. I think you expected it. Pretty much all the mock draft people were expecting John Garvin to be the first hurricane taken, and he ended up being the last hurricane taken. Also, there was some weird draft day mix-up. With Garvin and the Dolphins, it seemed like the Dolphins picked him and then took the pick back and picked um, a different a different defensive end than John Garvin, which was fun to deal with if you ran a website. Um, but yeah, I mean, seeing Shaq Quarterman go first, look, he deserves it. He, he definitely was a, a leader for the Hurricanes, and I was happy to see that. Happy to see DJ Dallas go in the fourth round as well. It's definitely going to be cool to see them and him and Travis Homer, who are extremely close in the same backfield in Seattle. So, you know, good vibes all around. KJ Osborne, who, you know, I was paying in the table for in a video with Gabby that we put on the site. Like, I didn't expect him to get drafted, to be honest. So to see him picked in the sixth round just shows that good work is rewarded. And, yeah. That's those are pretty much all my draft thoughts for the guys who were picked. Yeah, I I, I have to agree. Was pretty shocked when um, we we Shaq Quarterman's name flashed up on the screen and in the fourth round. I, I read somewhere he's the first homegrown product that the Jags have taken uh, since 2006 when they took wow. D Webb, who was a who was a former corner um, from cool. Florida. So it, it, it's pretty cool. I agree with you on the KJ Osborne thing. I, I don't know if I said it on this podcast or, or whatnot. I mean, but if people are really going to draft Jeff Thomas over him, I mean, that, that to me just sounded crazy. Yeah. Uh, and he's going to stay, K- he's going to stay on that roster for more that more years than people think. Watch. Which, uh, yeah, which, and- which free agent caught your attention? Uh, well, I want to point out you, you discredited KJ there. You said sixth rounder. He was actually a fifth rounder pick. I think that uh, oh, really? matters oh, a little man. bit. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> um, I, well, I, I will say I was thought, found it interesting that Trayvon Hill wasn't drafted. Um, I think he's a guy who the senior bowl and combine really hurt him and he probably needed a pro day. So to see him ended up on, on the Patriots uh, was interesting. 
to say. Uh, yeah. And then Jeff Thomas signing a free agent deal with uh, the Pats was also interesting. What is, what is your take there? Well, I'll say this. I think if there is a chance that Jeff Thomas sticks in the NFL and has a long career, it's because he goes to an organization like the Patriots that helps him uh, mature and, and, you know, take things more seriously because the NFL is sink or swim, but the Patriots culture takes that to another level. Like they are not going to coddle Jeff Thomas and either he's going to be up for the challenge or he's going to be out of the league. I think, you know, you look at the Patriots roster, it's a great opportunity for him to stick just from a pure talent standpoint, but he's going to have to be mature and be willing to work, which, you know, was kind of an up and down process with Miami. There's no denying his talent. Um, You know, I know on social media, a lot of Miami fans were like, man, remember when Jeff Thomas ripped up all these LSU DBs (laughs) that are getting picked high? Um, which is true. He put on a show in that game against that talented LSU secondary. Um, but yeah, going back to the Patriots, I, it makes sense by both, both directions. You know, the Patriots, they take chances on guys like Jeff Thomas. And if it works out great, if not, they move on quick. And Jeff Thomas, he's got a chance to show what he's going to do. I will say Trayvon Hill, um, you know, this is purely luck, but leading up to the draft, I was doing the best NFL team fits for Trayvon Hill and I nailed the Patriots. Yeah. Just cause you know, they like those hybrid type guys like Trayvon who Trent, can line Trent up. Trent Harris. Right. So he can line up a lot of places in a front seven. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he sticks too on the, on the Patriots in some capacity, whether that's practice practice squad or actually makes a 53 man it'll be interesting and then you got trey john bandy who went to the the steelers and uh romeo finley who was with the chargers i mean i i've touched on it on the last podcast i'm, I'm hoping that for the best for trey john bandy i saw someone had him yeah. on one of the lists like should have returned to school it's like <laughs> well maybe you should have done your homework and realized the reason why he he had a reason to leave yeah he wanted to go he wanted to come back um that he had to go try and uh, make money for the family. So got to respect it and wish him all the best. I haven't really done a deep dive on the Steelers roster, but hopefully it's a favorable roster for him where he can, you know, win that uh, nickel corner job. All right. What do you got coming up uh, on the site here over the next few days? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm going to shift back to doing more kind of deep dives on the football team. Coming up, um, you know, today I wrote, I thought it was fairly interesting, a look at De'Eric King and why his win-loss record at Houston maybe wasn't better. Basically, the reason boils down to Houston had some trash defenses. Um, (laughs) Wasn't D'Onofrio calling one of them? Yes, correct. But, I mean, you look at the numbers, like in the losses, he's still averaging like, 240 passing yards a game, 80 rushing yards a game, two passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown per game. And like four total picks in his eight losses. So he's doing his part, but the Houston defense was averaging like uh, allowing an average of like 35 points per game. 
in those games. And if you look at what Miami's done since Manny Diaz arrived in 2016, they've only lost, I believe the, the number was like four games when, uh, when they allow, or they've only, they've only allowed four teams to score more than 31 points in a game, which is nothing. <laughs> That's like over 52 games, they've allowed four teams to score more than 31 points. So, you know, basically the point of the article is you combine the offensive production with the Eric King, with the defense of Manny Diaz, should be good things coming. So more stuff like that. Hopefully you all find it interesting. I don't know. There's, we got a, we got a mind for stuff to write about these days, but I'm willing to do it. And I, I'm learning more too by, by doing these types of articles. Yeah. Well, uh, all I'll say is, is stay, stay tuned to the site. And like I said last time, maybe next time we'll, we'll hop on the podcast. It's after uh, another commitment. Ooh, tease. Take All right, care. we'll talk to you guys later.